You are entering the Freedom Hut. Hey, Team Buck, I hope you've had a great Labor Day weekend so far. We have pulled together some of the uh, most memorable recent segments from The Buck Sexton Show for your listening enjoyment. So while you are grilling those burgers to perfection, medium rare, of course, or having that ribeye or perhaps, if you're so inclined, some tofurkey, I hope you will uh, enjoy what we've pulled together for you today. And also, please remember to listen to the Freedom Hut podcast. We had Jesse Kelly and Sean Parnell on uh, last week, and it's still certainly worth the listen if you haven't gotten around to it. It is on iTunes. Type in The Buck Sexton Show and then go to the Freedom Hut podcast in the feed. With that, my friends, without further ado, here is our best of on Labor Day. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Everyone around me tried to pick my candidate for me. Mm-hmm. And then told me every time I said I like Trump that I couldn't say it out loud or my career would be over. I get kicked out the black community. It took me a year and a half to have the confidence to stand up and put on the hat. It represented it represented overcoming fear and doing what you felt, no matter what anyone said, and saying you can't bully me. Liberals can't bully me. News can't bully me. If I'm afraid to be me, I'm no longer yay. That's what makes yay. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Um, Mike, because you are a de facto pop culture producer, Mike, you got to tell when he says when he refers to himself as yay, that's just a that what is yay? So that was Kanye West, for those who are listening, talking about his support of Trump. I assume Ye is just a shortened version of Kanye, right? So it's it's not like just a general... T- okay, that would make sense. But what is yeah. Yeezy? Did we, didn't we figure this out? Well, Yeezy. I think Ye is also a nickname, but I also it's one of his uh, studio albums is the title of one. Ah. And uh, Yeezy, I, be, I believe, refers to his uh, fashion line that he has. There actually. we go. So you have to separate the Ye from the Yeezy. This is important for me to know. Thank you, sir. Thank you, everybody, for being here, by the way. If you want to chat, it is a Friday. we got uh, lots of time to talk about whatever you want. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK on those lines. Uh, let's, let's, definitely, uh, let's definitely chat when you get the chance. Um, the, uh, this, the show today is going to have some very interesting stuff, including uh, Mayor Giuliani is going to join us to give just an update on what's really going on with the Mueller probe and all this stuff. I, I want it all to end. And that's the, because it's, we all, it should end. This shouldn't take so long. They're not going to find some smoking gun if they just drag this out and drag this out forever. You know, one thing you got to remember about prosecutors, folks, is that if they have the resources, they can technically investigate something for, they could investigate it for 20 years if they want to. Just keep investigating and investigating and investigating. There's really no, not not that I know of, there's no statutory limitation on how long an investigation, a federal investigation can go on. So theoretically, the investigation can be endless. A presidency is caught in the pincers here. Maybe it's time for people to just have to let the delusion go. The Russia collusion delusion. It's too much. It's been too long. I am sick and tired of it. But one of the things that has 
gotten me particularly fired up this week is that there is an there's an awakening, I think, uh, where the American people are seeing more and more or more Americans are seeing. The degree and the different variants of bias in how the how the media covers things. And one example is this story about Representative uh, Chris Collins. Okay, so I mentioned this. I think I mentioned this on the show earlier in the week. You had Collins um, out there. You know, he he got uh, turned himself in, arrested for allegedly insider trading, having to do with the Australian uh, pharmaceutical company. He says the charges are meritless. And uh, the FBI... Uh, has brought him in, and they're they're charging with conspiracy, securities fraud, wire fraud, and making false statements to the FBI. Uh, and this was reported on as though a close ally of Trump's or something was, you know, you saw headlines where, and, and headlines really tell you a lot about the mentality of the writer, okay? There were headlines where they were saying, Collins, or r- rather, Republican congressman, the first to endorse Trump in Congress uh, indicted on securities fraud. It's like that was a long time ago, first of all, the whole endorsement of Trump thing. A lot of people endorsed Trump. And why is that the most important factor that they share with you when it comes to uh, this situation? Why is that a, a top line, in fact, a headline item? And I would want you to keep that in mind. I'd want you to, to remember this because uh, here's how the big the big three networks did it. Uh, John, please play clip 11. Congressman Chris Collins, Republican Congressman Chris Collins, New York Congressman Chris Collins, Republican Congressman Chris Collins, one of the first to endorse then candidate Donald Trump. The news setting shockwaves through Washington. As one of the president's earliest supporters comes into the crosshairs. And new trouble for one of President Trump's earliest allies. He became the first congressman to be charged with a crime since Trump's presidency. Trump. Lots of lots of connection to Trump there. Now, this guy hasn't actually been found guilty of anything yet nor has he pleaded guilty to anything and insider trader case uh, insider trading cases are notoriously uh gray areas in in a lot of ways insider trading cases are uh, are much more um complicated than i think a, a lot of people would uh would guess based on the way the government presents these things so that's one aspect of it. The connections to Trump right away. And remember, this is this is the the more the, the subtle bias, but very, very much an actual bias that the media has for anything that hits Trump. They will do any way to get at Trump. They'll go for it. But then you got to add this into this is a great piece on uh, it's up on Fox. It's been making a lot of a lot of rounds. This is from the Media Research Center. Uh, media Research Center reported that ABC, CBS and NBC News combined to cover Congressman Collins' arrest on evening and morning newscast for a combined 18 minutes and 24 seconds during the first 24 hours of coverage. Now, you got to remember, folks, ABC, CBS, and NBC really only have, I, I think, one news show in the morning and one news show at night. So 18 minutes, that's a lot of airtime on those, on those networks in a 24-hour period. Most segments are three to four minutes. So that's a lot of coverage. The Media Research Center study, though, also found that uh, Democrats who were charged with crimes 
received very different coverage, as in no coverage, no coverage whatsoever from those same networks uh, in the first 24-hour period. Um, here's what they say. Former Democrat Representative Shaka Fata resigned in 2016 after being convicted of federal corruption charges, including bribery, racketeering, money laundering, and bank fraud. The network spent more time on Collins in one day than they did on Fata in over a year. You mean you can go to prison for and be guilty of bribery and money laundering and racketeering? And the networks, and you're, you're a member of Congress, folks, a Democrat, though. And they didn't cover it at all. Nothing. Not once an entire year. Um, during the year and a half period in between his indictment and conviction for bribery and fraud, ABC, CBS, and NBC Morning and Evening programs managed a scant 68 seconds, according to uh, Media Research Center's Scott Whitlock. 68 seconds, folks. CBS spent seven minutes and six seconds on the Collins story when it broke. ABC spent five minutes, and NBC spent five minutes and 37 seconds. Collins has said the charges against him are meritless. Uh, and there's more than this, by the way. Um, how much coverage did Menendez get? Not just, oh, yeah, that's right, a sitting U.S. senator on the Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, committee. And, and he was besties with a guy convicted, Dr. Solomon Melgin, of a vast Medicare fraud, $80 million in fraud. You see, folks, this is where we see it happening. A Repu- something bad happens involving a Republican. It is front-page news. Something terrible definitely happens that a Democrat did. It's not news at all. How can they justify this disparity? It's ideological. The Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN, ABC, CBS, NBC, they are not neutral parties. They are not. We cannot let them get away with this myth anymore, and it's just embarrassing for them and condescending for us, right? It's, they are assuming that we are incapable of figuring out what's really going on here. So Menendez barely got away with, uh, got, a, got away, I mean, at a, at a hung jury because they said essentially there was no quid pro quo even though he was doing favors for his friend and the friend was doing super nice. He was doing official favors for his friend. His friend's a crook. $80 million Medicare fraud, by the way. It's a lot of money. $80 million. Convicted. Uh, he's doing friends for his... Uh, doing, uh, doing favors for his fraudster friend. How much coverage did you see of... Think about this. How much coverage did you see in the media of Menendez versus Chris Christie and Bridgegate? A traffic jam on a bridge versus a sitting U.S. senator possibly being bought and paid for by a, a, a straight-up felon. Well, what was the... Oh, you mean that you heard a lot more about Bridgegate, didn't you? Now, there are no ways for them to explain this, so they'll just ignore it. They'll just uh, stay away from it. Um, but when you look at some of the other, you know, some of the other more prominent cases of political corruption. I mean, they're Demo- Democrats, when they go corrupt, they go corrupt bigly or big league, as they say. Uh, they do stuff like along the lines of Blagojevich, who I will know 
Shady, I'd forgotten some of the Blago details, and some of you set me straight on it. I just, I don't like the guy who prosecuted him, but even bad prosecutors prosecute bad guys. Uh, Blagojevich is pretty shady. I, I, you know, I was being a little contrarian on that one, and it's because I respect the hair. It's not so much that I like Blagojevich's hairstyle, per se. It's that I think he, he, you know, it's like you do you with the quaff. So, you know, I, I think that he's got something something there. Uh, but the, the double standards here about how the media covers corruption, this is one of, the, one of the most apparent, most obvious examples I can think of of the bias and the lack of integrity in what they're doing that exists in, it just all the time. And, and I, I refuse to play their game now. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not pretending that they're nonpartisan, that they're just objective and neutral. And, yeah, they can present the facts, fine, but they should admit that this isn't just about presenting the facts. They really do have an agenda. They are, they are in many cases, activist publications. Uh, oh, by the way, Corinne Brown. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even mention that before I let this one go. Uh, Florida ethicist Corinne Brown, who served in Congress from 1993 to 20, January 2017, is now serving five years in federal prison for defrauding a charity. Um. Shaka Fata was an 11-term member from Pennsylvania. Mike, did you know Shaka? Of Shaka, I should say. I mean, he might have known Shaka. Uh, I don't know him, but yeah, well, he's from uh, Philadelphia. Serving a 10-year prison sentence right now. It's a long time. Racketeering, money laundering. I mean, this is that's like what you expect to hear about a guy involved with a cartel. Yeah, but those cases you don't know as we. The, the networks are way more excited about an insider trading case with Collins than they were about those two cases. Ask yourself why, folks. Ask yourself why. Also ask yourself how it is that other than this show and maybe Fox News, depending on if you watch Fox News this week, because I know they've covered it. Laura Ingram's covered it. But unless you watch Fox and listen, and listen to this radio show, where have you heard about a terrorist training camp in New Mexico? Or is it Arizona? I'm forgetting now. I think it was near the, was it New Mexico? Yeah, that's what I thought. In New Mexico, a terrorist camp where children were being malnourished, abused, and trained to be school shooters, all in the name of jihad, by a guy with direct connections to some of the biggest terrorist conspiracies ever in the history of the United States. Why, why didn't that get more? That seems like quite a noteworthy news story. Why haven't you heard about that from more places? Because these people that run around saying that they're speaking truth to power, the big, the big publication journos and, uh, and the, the network news broadcasts, they're all in cahoots with each other, and it's just one big liberal clown show. And they should own that and be honest about it. And if they won't, we'll continue to own them. Sometimes we have to own the libs. I'm in a good mood. I got my little brother visiting this weekend down here in the swamp. We're going uh, to go walk around town and Hopefully not get uh, accosted by Antifa, and that's the plan. So uh, we'll be right back. The real story here is not that this case isn't going to fizzle. It's going to blow up on them. The real question is what we talked about before. There's a lot more to what they did that nobody knows about yet. A lot more to the obstruction of justice, to the collusion, to the fake dossier, oh, I know to trying lot. to bring Steele back in after he was completely discredited. Uh, Mueller is going to have a lot to answer for. 
I, I said a long time ago, the, the investigation here has to be in the investigators because we can't let this happen again in American history. We may not have a president as strong as uh, President Trump. Unless a president could have really been cracked by this. You know, that's uh, Mayor Giuliani, former Mayor Giuliani, who I'm going to have joining us here in just a moment. And I want to ask him about this because I, I think it's really important. You know, think about the pressure that Trump has been under with this whole probe. He's the president of the United States. He's already got a lot of pressure, folks. They're trying to, And he knows they're trying to go after his family. They're trying to ruin him. They're trying to ruin everyone around him, weaponizing the law. It's just amazing what Trump has actually been put through. I'm going to talk to Giuliani about that shortly. Take a couple calls. I know we've got a lot of lines lit here. Uh, Alex in Stanton, Virginia. Hey, Alex. Hey, man. Hey, man. I am just flabbergasted that Jeff Sessions hasn't realized a year ago that he has to resign. And I'm just wondering, is there some sort of chess that we're not aware of or checkers? Because Rosenstein's never going to investigate the DOJ properly. It can't investigate itself. We've got to appoint a special counsel. Obviously, Sessions can't do it because he's taken himself out like an idiot. And why is there not a more concerted campaign to pressure him? It's a very good question, Alex. I don't know what what, what is really... I talked to Jeff Sessions about this, uh, what, about uh, six weeks ago. I, I, I don't have a good answer for you. If I were him, I'd probably say, you know what, I've had enough. I'd rather... It'd probably be more fun to be a, you know, a senator from Alabama. But... Uh, it's a good question, Alex. I don't have the answer. Tim in Ohio. Hey, Tim. Hey, Buck. It's been a while, but listen, I want to talk this over with Giuliani to fly it by the president. You know, the best defense is a good offense. And so what I think he needs to do is replace Assistant Attorney General Sessions, or uh, Sessions, Assistant Attorney um, Rosenstein, with Solicitor General Francisco. He's a straight shooter. Now, you get him in there, and then you start opening up the door to new special counsels with the right people. Maybe Rudy heads one, maybe Jay Sekulow heads one. But you go after surveying. You won uh, the foundation, and you put them people back on their heels, and that's flip the tables. Because, yeah, Tim, you want them to go on offense. You know, I, I appreciate your call, buddy. We got Rudy Giuliani joining us here momentarily. Tim, I'm going to pose this to him, okay? So please keep listening, and thank you for calling Shields High. America's Mayor coming up, folks. Stay right there. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Well, everybody, it is Friday. We have a, a special treat for you now. Uh, Mayor Rudolph Giuliani is joining. You've been seeing him making the case for President Trump. He is uh, out there. He's a legal advisor. He's also telling the telling the people what's really going on about the Mueller probe. Uh, we have a chance to pick his brain a little bit about where all this stuff stands now. Mr. Mayor, thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right, so, you know, you've been saying that they should wrap up. Uh, I'm talking to people all over D.C. here saying that uh, hopefully they'll be wrapping up pretty soon, but no one really knows. What can you tell us about this? It just feels like this Mueller probe is dragging on, and and it's never-ending, and the process is the punishment. Well, you're absolutely right. First of all, this is an investigation in search of a crime. They haven't found it yet, and they can search forever. They're not going to find it. The president didn't do anything wrong. Uh, That is painfully clear. So they're trying to create a crime in order to justify 
spending $30 million and wasting the taxpayers' money and, and putting the country through hell. So how about we end it? Mueller writes his report, tells us what he's got, and, and we're more than happy to rebut it. I mean, he's not going to have anything that amounts to a hill of beans. So we're more than willing to have him put out his report, put up a shut up, get it over with. The president did nothing wrong. Do you think that uh, Mueller has been ethical in this process? I mean, President Trump's been very clear. He thinks there's a, uh, he thinks the whole thing is a witch hunt. He said it countless times at this point. But do, do you think that Mueller himself has been on the up and up here? Do you have do you have questions about his possible politicization, or is it just some of the Democrat donors who work well, for him? I certainly have uh, questions about the legitimacy of the entire investigation. It, it was born out of a. Uh, dossier that turns out to be entirely false. Uh, it was used, that dossier was used to get Pfizer wiretaps. The court was never told that the dossier was paid for by Hillary Clinton and by the DNC in order to gather dirty information on Donald Trump, which turns out to be completely false, totally discredited. The guy who did it, Christopher Steele, had to be done away with, fired by the FBI. Uh, and none of that was disclosed to the court. That was the original origination of this investigation. Then it goes to Peter Strzok, who's the guy who said Trump has to be stopped. We need an insurance policy against him. He's talking to his mistress and basically back and forth, totally perverting the purposes of the FBI. Uh, whether so he likes it or not, that's the case that Mueller inherited. And now he's got, as the president says, 17 angry Democrats working for him. If he wanted his investigation to be perceived as a fair and impartial investigation, he would not have hired Andrew Weissman, who's probably the most notoriously unethical uh, prosecutor in the Justice Department, who's been cited by two different courts. His cases have been dismissed because of his unethical behavior. Yeah, I mean, so you're saying it's not even a question of how Mueller has handled it per se. It, it just the, the the root cause, if you will, of the investigation is rotten. So. And look, I, I've, I've been saying all along that it was a mistake to allow a special counsel to get appointed. It was a bad idea from the get-go. It was the wrong idea from the get-go. And now that we see that all they're going to do about Russian interference is, is a bunch of Facebook uh, sock puppets that are originating out of Russia get prosecuted, it's just not worth all the stuff that the country's been put through. I mean, this is really a drag on the executive branch and on the White House. I don't think there's any question about that. So, you know, wh what can we expect from here? I know there's been a lot of pushback on... Will there be, will there not be a meeting? I know you're getting asked this all the time. Will the president sit down with, this, with, uh, with Mueller and his investigators, or will it just be written answers? So far, the status of that is no sit-down, right? Although it's so not far, yet. So far, we have a written counterproposal that went to them three days ago. Uh, we expect a response to it. <clears throat> uh, I don't know that they're, gonna, they're going to agree or disagree, but if they agree, we could have uh, uh, a form of an interview process which I'm not at liberty right now to disclose. I can't tell you exactly what it will entail. I probably don't even know because there would have to be last-minute negotiations. Uh, but that's not the big issue. The big issue is, among other things, with this irregular, unethical investigation, in some cases, illegal practices being employed at the beginning of it, it should not be allowed to go beyond September 1st. There is an election coming up. Comey was very much justifiably criticized by the Inspector General Horowitz for carrying on his investigation in the September and October, right before the 2016 election. We should not repeat the same thing now. 
Mueller has to have enough discipline to get the darn thing done. He's had plenty of time to subpoena the president if he wants to. He's gotten 1.4 million documents from us, 32 witnesses we didn't object to. Everything he wants to ask the president about, it's kind of weird because he's got the answer. I'll give you an example. Did you tell Comey to go easy on, uh, on, on Flynn? Answer, no. President says I never said it. Seems like a straightforward answer. Yeah. Now, <laughs> you either like believe that answer or you don't. Yeah. And if you're trying to trap my client into perjury, I'm sorry. You're not getting, to, you're not getting that one under oath. Yeah. It strikes me also, uh, Mr. Mayor, that the, the fact is dragging the investigation on is its own form of, of interference. I mean, but by continuing this, even if they don't release a report, you know, the week before the election or something, just by keeping this cloud hanging over the White House, that seems to me to be unfair, not just to the president, but to all the different political candidates across the country on the Republican Party who are backing this president very vocally, more so than we've seen, in fact, with recent White Houses. It's very unfair. We have a recent example of it's being done incorrectly by Comey, which the Justice Department Inspector General criticized very, very strongly. If he doesn't want to become the new Comey, Mueller should discipline his people and get the darn thing over with. We're willing to accept anything he throws at us. We're ready to rebut it. Do you think that we're ever going to get the full answers here about what was really in that Pfizer report? I've heard the president's considered uh, unredacting that information, using his executive powers as commander-in-chief to release it. I, based on what we've seen, I can't say there's any, there should be any good faith in the public that those redactions in the Pfizer report about Carter Page were not political in nature, were not at least sort of covering the butts of some folks high up at the Department of Justice. Uh, do you advise that he release that information, and do you think we'll finally get that information? You know, I can't advise on that. That's a, that's a governmental decision, not a personal one. It has to do with classification. Uh, should classification be continued? Is it appropriate? I agree with you. I believe that if those redactions were read, you would see a very, very political uh, process. And frankly, I'd like to see it, but I can't advise it one way or the other. To folks who have been worried about the president all this time, uh, uh, you know, Mayor Giuliani, to folks that have been asking, when can this finally get past us all? Are, are you are you upbeat about this? I mean, do you feel like they should... They should know that the agenda will continue on. The president's in pretty good spirits and he'll push past this. Or are you still I mean, I know you're you're his lawyer. So there's also you got to be concerned no matter what. But what can you tell the folks out across America right now who are saying our president's had enough of this? The president is in remarkably good spirits. He's able to concentrate on his work, whether it's Iran, North Korea, China, trade and now Pastor Brunson, where he's done remarkable work by putting sanctions on Turkey. The sanctions on Iran are working much better than anybody expected. However, it is not fair to the country that we continue to be put through this. Uh, A lesser president would be hobbled by this kind of investigation. Look at what happened to Richard Nixon, who deserved it. But in any event, the man became, I guess it's not a secret that he'd become basically an alcoholic as a result of that. at least there was a reason for that. They can't, in all this time, they can't tell you what the president did wrong. 
He didn't meet with a Russian. He didn't talk to a Russian. He didn't, whatever the heck collusion means, not a crime. He didn't collude with a Russian. He didn't even order a white Russian. He it's didn't insane. order. He doesn't drink. <laughs> there you go. That's totally true. So I, I'm with you. He doesn't look, drink Mr. or smoke. I mean, the guy's perfect. What can you do? Mr. Mayor, we're, look, we're, we're happy that you, at least at least you're out there and you've got the president's back. And that, that's good to know because I think a lot of folks, I, I'm one of them. I've, I've just run out of patience with this this nonsense pro. But thank you very much for giving thank us you. your time today. Uh, and, and thank you for I, what you're doing. And also thank, thank you for cleaning up my hometown, by the way, which I remember very fondly. Uh, I appreciate it. So does my whole family. It still lives there. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right. Good to see you. And today, we renew the president's call on the Congress of the United States to invest an additional $8 billion in our space security systems over the next five years. The men and women of this department have also taken historic steps to secure American leadership in space. At the direction of Secretary Mattis, the Department of Defense is fielding a new generation of jam-resistant GPS and communication satellites, and new missile warning satellites that are smaller, tougher, and more maneuverable than ever before. We're only a beginning of meeting the rising security threats our nation faces in space today and in the future. As President Trump has said in his words, it is not enough to merely have an American presence in space. We must have American dominance in space. And so we will. What the president sees, the president sees how, in essence, dependent the American economy is. In fact, space represents an export for the United States, which offsets the trade deficit, as you're aware, um, that the president is very keen on, on fixing. Um, and so if we want to be able to protect and preserve this critical piece of the American economy, we, we have to be prepared. Our potential adversaries are calling space the American Achilles heel, which when you think about how dependent we are on space, look, if we don't have banking in this country, as I said, every banking transaction requires a GPS signal for timing. If we lose banking, we don't have milk in the grocery store in a matter of days. That is an existential threat to the United States. The president has seen the same intelligence we saw in the House of Representatives. He's moved um, you know, very quickly to establish a space force, as we had voted on in the House of Representatives. And with support from the executive branch, I, I really think that we're going to get this done. I wanted to return to this team because I, I know I was joking around a lot last night about space force because it's fun to say and. They're, they're, the president is, is asking for comment on what the new emblem should be. And there are some parts of this that, look, all of us, I feel like, has a, a little kid connection. You know, it reminds us when we're little kids to the whole Star Trek, Star Wars, outer space, the last, the final frontier, all that stuff. And that's all to the good. But it's also a very serious national security issue. Um, and, and we're not really, I, I was joking around about Space Force and people are saying, oh, Mars and, and aliens and all this. And, the, the reality is that it's the space around the Earth, which is already uh, part of uh, of communication technology, of, of uh, as it was just said there, banking technology, timing for different industries. Uh, obviously, it also has very real military applications. I mean, just think about what would happen if before, let's say, we were going to have a conventional, let's say we're going to have a conventional war. I mean, we don't think about this anymore because... It's just human nature to assume that things are going to continue to be, you know, keep getting better because they've been getting better. But if we were going to have a conventional war with China and they were able to knock out uh, our major uh, satellites, 
that would be an enormous problem for us, right? For communications and uh, for military targeting and, and reconnaissance and, you know, who knows what else. So it's very, very serious stuff. And, you know, it also reminded me of, of another story that I joked around with you all about and felt like it was worth coming back to because I think it's something that we should keep an eye on here in the HUD, and that is this notion of Google backing away from some uh, public-private partnerships, well, it's especially with the Pentagon, and how it's, yeah, you know, a bunch of filthy, uh, they're not really filthy, that's why I like to say that, but a bunch of, uh, you know, filthy hippies in Silicon Valley who also are driving around in, in Teslas and multi-million dollar homes that I could never afford and everything else. So they're not really hippies, I know, but I like to make fun of them. Uh, but I, we make jokes about their ideology and everything else, but the truth is that while we have a, a progressive mentality in this country and the progressive left doesn't want to be a part of war, you know, pre- progressive left technology sector in Silicon Valley doesn't really want to be a part of American dominance and American uh, military dominance in particular, but, but anything involving warfare, you've seen this, right? Google has backed away from uh, one project in particular, the name is escaping me right now, but it was a, an important one. And you have other countries that are working feverishly and bringing together their public and private sector to get advantages over us in those areas. So in China, for example, you have Chinese uh, private sector companies working hand in glove with uh, Chinese military and, and defense and, you know, the, the state to try to get an advantage on us. Meanwhile, in this country, we've got people that are thinking that they have no, you know, no patriotic duty, quite honestly, to be a part. I'm not saying it's everybody. And look, I know there's Boeing and Raytheon and there's, you know, there's all these big companies and corporations out there that are very much involved in, in defense and, and government work and everything else. Uh, but when you see the, you know, the, the, the real um, technology giants that we have, places like uh, Google and Facebook and others, their hesitation to help our government in areas where American dominance is necessary, that, that's, a, that's a, a, cause for real, a cause for real concern. And, and on Space Force, yes, it has to go through Congress. It's early stage, but there, it's only going to become more urgent. The longer we wait, there will be a greater urgency uh, for efforts to control outer space, I don't know what else to say, or, you know, control the immediate space around, around the Earth uh, and the atmosphere. So, you know, Trump, if a different president was doing this, he would be called, or she, theoretically, a visionary. If Obama had talked about this, he'd be called a visionary. Instead, he was talking about how climate change is the biggest national security threat that the Coast Guard Academy uh, graduates were facing, and how, you know, climate change is something that, his mere election might stop. Remember that, you know, this is the moment that the seas, you know, start, you know, the earth started to heal and the seas stopped rising. And really, you know, you know, I want to talk about the press letting the president uh, get away with stuff. I have not forgotten what went on the Obama era, but, but I do believe that this is another instance of Trump leading the way beyond where the consensus is because consensus is not leadership. It's a big difference in the in approach that Democrats and Republicans, left and right, collectivists versus individualists have. Consensus is not leadership. You can lead others and create a consensus behind you, but searching consensus as a leader is not leadership. 
it is it is not the same thing. Uh, and and generally speaking, if you want to make really dramatic improvements, whether it's Space Force or anything else, trade, tariffs, all these things, you need to be willing to ruffle some feathers. Uh, we got a big hour, too, coming up, friends. Lots to talk about. And uh, the Freedom Hut podcast is up, by the way, with our buddy Benny Johnson. We have a lot of fun. Get that on uh, iTunes or Stitcher.com or the iHeart app. Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Thank you very much for being here with me. It is a, a Freestyle Friday in effect this is very this this just caught my eye now um that there is a another this just broke now so i i'm i'm kind of learning this one on the fly but it seems to me that there is another big bombshell report coming out soon about NBC News sexual harassment and misconduct. This is according to Mediaite.com. So I'm sourcing it here. I, I, I haven't been able to read the piece yet. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what's happening here. But I, I read this, and, and I can't feel like I'm surprised at all. You know, the as we discuss often here on the show, one of the defining characteristics of liberalism is hypocrisy. And I also have... have I haven't spent enough of our time together describing how I think that that's also one of its appeals. You know, we, we discuss the virtue signaling component of liberalism a lot, whether it's on me too, or any number of, of issues out there in the public where all you need to do is, is proclaim the approved liberal position. And you're a good person. You're a smart person. You're the right kind of person, right? We've talked, it, it's, it's a very cheap way to assert your own virtue and your own goodness. Uh, but what we haven't really talked about is also, it, it seems like a, for many liberals, really the, the equivalent of an indulgence, meaning a papal indulgence. Remember, they used to be able to, to pay, to pay the church. I know the Catholic Church has had some problems in its day. We all know. Uh, but you'd be able to pay the church, and that would get you out of, right, the penalty of purgatory for that sin right papal indulgences and if you hold the right positions publicly as a liberal they will create a different framework by you know within which you will be judged for your own personal transgressions i also think that it is a part of the liberal mentality that the more loudly you take the positions that are approved for you by the progressive left the more that you feel like you are doing your own penance for whatever misdeeds maybe you know in the back of your head you've done. Which is how you get guys like, well, the guy who was the attorney general in the state of New York, I can't remember his name, or Schneiderman, who was all about Mr. Me Too. Samantha B on the, not the Daily Show anymore, she's on like TNT, I guess, with the Samantha B Show or something. Unfunny comedian, another unfunny comedian, which is, that's gotta be rough to be a, to be an unfunny, uh, an unfunny comedian, but that's a thing. Well, I guess you get paid really well, even if you stink, as long as you're a liberal. Um, but she had him on, and he was like a hero to the whole Me Too movement. And you find out Schneiderman was a horrific abuser of, of women, a really, really bad guy. Um, 
you, you see this so often with these very sanctimonious liberals that over time they they are finally now being outed, but they're the ones that have been oh shouting about you know how we need to do you know more women represented in Hollywood or more women represented in the newsrooms or in the editorial room or whatever. Uh, you know you've had Matt Lauer, Tom Brokaw, Charlie Rose. Uh, and then obviously you get in the Weinstein category, guys who are actually convicted of crimes, of sexual crimes. But if all these different guys, oh, uh, the head of, of, of CBS, um, Les Moonves. You, know, you have all these, different, all these different individuals who hold themselves up as, as paragons of liberal virtue, not of actual virtue, but as, of liberal virtue. And then you find out that in their personal lives, they just act terribly. Uh, in many cases. So I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on this one. I, I believe this, because here's what I'll tell you about the Matt Lauer thing. People are lying over there about this. They're lying, meaning this notion that not everybody knew what was going on with Lauer is a lie. People who worked on that show knew and didn't care. Making a lot of money. They wanted to make money. They did not care. Now, I would prefer, whether it's NBC or any of these other places where this has gone on, I would prefer the people who knew came out and said, you know what? I wasn't in a position where I was powerful enough to do anything about it, and I didn't. I was unwilling to risk retaliation and lose my job. I don't think that makes somebody a bad person to say that I heard about this, but I wasn't going to go to HR because I, I don't want to be the one that's... But that's not what they say. What they say is... And by the way, I'm not talking about the criminal stuff. I'm just talking about office harassment. What they say is, oh, no, I had no idea. No idea whatsoever. They're just lying. They're just lying, and I think that we are about to find another. I, I just have a feeling, you know, it's it's this time of year. It's a good time to break this kind of a story. There's not a whole lot of other big stuff going on, and I I, I believe that this is a a very real thing. I mean, you know, speaking of of the double standards, also. So so we have the hypocrisy is a very essential characteristic of liberals, but but also uh, they can pay for their personal personal sins with public professions of liberalism or protestations of their liberalism. Proclamations of their liberalism. That's the word I was actually looking for. <clears throat> Excuse me, my, my voice was breaking a little bit this morning on Rising. It's been a bit of uh, one of those days. All right, uh, welcome to the Box Action Show. And, uh, that's like a radio host's worst nightmare. Well, no, my, my real worst nightmare was the first time ever filling in for Rush Limbaugh and my vocal cords were completely shot, but I've told you that story many times before. Thank heavens for steroids. Cortisone. I'm not, you know, not like the run really fast, lift a lot of weight steroids. That's not what I mean. Um, be like, freeze your vocal cords with, or bring the swelling down in them so you can actually do a show so that not all of Radio Listing America thinks that you wimped out, which I can tell you this, in media, I'll, I, I've never wimped out. I never will wimp out. Doesn't mean I won't wipe out, but I won't wimp out. So the the hypocrisy with liberals has many functions. Uh, and one of them, I believe, is that they externally like to feel like they're good people in front of other people. But also internally, they feel like, well, even if I'm nasty and abusive to women, if I am writing hashtag me too everywhere and saying that, you know, we need more female directors in Hollywood or we need more executive producers in the newsrooms of America who are women. Um, that is somehow, you know, kind of paying their paying, uh, paying up their tab for feminism or whatever. Uh, that's one part of it. And, and then you just have the, the continue. And this is a, another area we see the hypocrisy, which is 
Former conservatives, and this is a big problem of mine, or, or a big problem that I see. You have these former conservatives who are never Trumpers. Some of them are are acting in principled fashion. Some of them are, are, are calling balls and strikes, which is fine. I like to think that I call balls and strikes with Trump, too, although I'm favorable to Trump, and I'm honest about that. I, I am support, I'm a supporter of this president, and I'm rooting for him to be successful, uh, and I'm honest about that with you. But I also will say, look, I didn't think this was great or I, I would have done this differently. Um, but for people who really don't like the president, um, but just want to say, well, they like this thing he did or they don't. That, that's OK for me. For those who are who have had enough of dealing with the kind of media dynamics at play right now. And they've just said, I'm just going to do my own thing. And that's another. But there's this other type of, of conservative that I've noticed. And maybe you have some friends who are like this, too, where. They decide that they're too principled to support Trump, you see. But they're not too principled to support his opponents. And I, I don't understand. It's one thing to say I can't support Trump. Right? I, you know, people, everyone's entitled to their opinions. I get it. But I see a fallacy here, a, a fallacy of logic in I can't support Trump because I'm such a principled conservative. So I'm going to support Democrats now. Whatever happened to those principles that were unbending? Now, now you're in favor of the, uh, you know, intersectionality, pro-choice, pro-abortion, you know, transgender rights for juveniles, transgender surgery for ten-year-olds. You're in favor of that team? No, I notice nobody ever really seems to be forced to grapple with this one. But I'm seeing a, I'm seeing a lot of it these days. And, you know, I, I Brett Stevens over at the New York Times who's Mr. Never Trump. I had to leave the Wall Street Journal to go to the New York Times, you know, the whole thing. Very huffy about it. And it's really really a, a pretty charmless fellow from my limited interactions with him in the green rooms of cable news. Uh, but he's defending Sarah Jong, the, you know, I hate white people tweeter over at, uh, over at the New York Times. After, and, and this was pointed out by Sean Davis uh, in a piece of The Federalist, after cheering Roseanne's firing for racist comments, for example, for one tweet, fired, and everyone on that show lost their jobs, too, at least at that point in time. Uh, Brett Stevens was cheering that, but Sarah Jong, he's saying, you know, it doesn't represent the totality of who she is. So Mr. Big Principles over there will bend his principles to go to the New York Times and will bend the very principles that he is espousing in his editorial columns to defend other people at the New York Times and still wants us to believe he's the real conservative. You know, it's one thing to say, folks, that you you won't fight in a certain war because you don't believe in it. It's another thing to go fight for the enemy. And that's a distinction among the never Trumpers that I think needs to be. We all need to be very clear on this. You know, you, you don't have to. You don't have to put on the uniform. The you know the M six you know, grab an M sixteen and throw on a helmet. You know, with with, with our team with Team Trump. But I'm not okay with people calling themselves conservatives or Republicans who are straight up suited up, kitted up, and on the other side of the battlefield. Well, well, what do they think that is? You know, this is from the like, you know, the, the Benedict Arnold school of how much I love America. I love America so much that I have to betray it. You know, I I love conservatives uh, conservatism so much that to save the village, I'm going to burn it down. That's what they're doing, and they don't seem to realize that. Uh, that alone, I find, I find uh, deeply troubling. That alone, I think, is 
worth giving a, a lot of folks pause. So I'm, I'm thinking about addressing this this weekend in a column. It's either going to be that or the realities of censorship in Silicon Valley. I'm going to write something probably on, on the hill.com about this. Um, but I am uh, definitely, you know, sitting around thinking to myself that uh, it's time that some of these folks were called to account. It's time that we were willing to say that this is an unacceptable state of affairs where, you know, we keep calling people Republican, you know, Republican columnists. I mean, who is it over at the Jennifer Rubin at the Washington Post apparently exists only to trash Trump and Republicans who support Trump, all of them. And they keep calling her a Republican author or Republican columnist. I, you know, I understand the game they play. This, this appeals to the left. They like Republicans that trash their own. Uh, but at some point, I think you've you got to lose the moniker. When you are supporting and rooting and voting for Democrats publicly, there's a name for that, folks. I think you all know what it is. It's called a Democrat. Clarity here would be nice, wouldn't it? Let's talk more about Russia in a moment. Stay with me. We'd like to have a better relationship with the Russian government, recognizing that we have a lot of areas of mutual concern. It is a major country. We are a major country as well. And so when you have that, you are forced to have to have conversations uh, with other governments. And sanctions is a way that we can try to encourage better behavior. And now we're seeing the consequence of sanctions coming in place, the threats of additional sanctions over in Russia, uh, and the Russian economy suffering as a result of it. So there is leverage, uh, and it's important when dealing with an adversary such as Russia, uh, if you want to work with them in any way as it relates to the counterterrorism mission. What you're seeing with the, the first uh, step, the first part of, uh, of these sanctions going into place, uh, it, it relates to national security sensitive U.S. technologies, right. uh, but you're looking, you're, you're few months down the road, if diplomatic relations uh, don't improve, uh, then you might see a further reduction a few months from now in diplomatic relations, including cutting off access for any Russian entities to United States banks uh, and cutting off all United States exports to Russia. So the, the next step of sanctions can actually be much more severe than the first. You know, I got a bunch of thoughts on the latest developments here with regard to the U.S.-Russia relationship. And first of all, if Trump is a Kremlin puppet. He's the worst Kremlin puppet I've ever seen. Of course, you and I know that that's just a, a delusional statement that anti-Trumpers like to make, and they don't care that it's based in uh, no no recognizable, no nothing that is recognizable as reality. Um, but they very clearly, uh, they, they they very clearly are clinging to this narrative. Um. And they won't give it up no matter what the facts show us. And, you know, I saw this piece in the uh, New York Times, I think it was, earlier on in the week in the New York Times where they were saying, well, yeah, okay, there was actually a lot of really positive stuff that happened with the NATO meetings. You know, remember that with Helsinki and the NATO before that? uh, A lot of good stuff occurred, but it was because everybody was hiding everything from Trump and doing stuff that Trump's administration was going around him to do all of that. And what I want to say is Trump must be some kind of 8D chess playing genius because the people who answer to him keep showing us results that are excellent, but 
he knows nothing about it, according to the media, and therefore deserves no credit for it, or even is working against his own people who work for him. Who, who, who is serious about this? I mean, who really believes this crap? It's such garbage. But this is what, this is what they have to tell themselves, I guess. The, the libs have to believe this stuff so they can sleep at night. Because otherwise, it's, wow, Trump is having such a successful presidency. What am I going to do about it? And, you know, the, the, the reality of the new Russia sanctions is, is, by the way, you know, you've had the press goading Trump for a long time and his administration. Why are you so soft on Russia, so soft on Russia? Well, now you've got Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev warning earlier today that if there are if there are new sanctions um, against its ba- against Russian banks, it would be quote an act of economic war. Medvedev said, "I would not like to comment on on talks about future sanctions, but I can say one thing: if some ban on banks' operations or on their use of one or another currency follows, it would be possible to clearly call it a declaration of economic war. This is serious stuff. You know, I worry that we're a little." As a nation right now, because the media is lying about this so much, they've constructed this complete fabrication of the Russia collusion stuff and everything else. I I worry that the American people might not really understand actually how tough Trump is being on Russia and that there could be consequences to us from this. This is not a risk-free proposition. But you see, the, the press is always, oh, Trump, he's such a Russian stooge and everything else. Meanwhile... Trump is way, his administration is way harder, objectively, factually, harder on Russia than Obama ever was. And the press is reckless. They're, they're, they're putting us in some degree of danger. This is, this is dangerous what they are doing to the country. But I just get the sense that they do not care. It's all about what they've thought. It's all about their narrative. Uh, and the narrative is that Trump is a, Trump is you know, in a uh, situation where the Russians have compromised him, they have compromised him. They, they never provide any evidence for this. They never tell anybody anything factual here about why there's something on Trump. But meanwhile, folks, we are getting closer and closer to rapidly deteriorating relations with Moscow. I mean, this is this is serious. And the press that reports on this in this country is entirely unserious. In fact, they are babyish about this issue and are, and are uh, just trying to do what pleases their, their readership, their viewership, their constituency on the left. And they're just looking for opportunities to, like I said, to goad Trump into overreaching with Russia. I mean, this really, really troubling stuff. I mean, the Trump administration is doing a lot on Russia. I'm sitting here worried about doing too much on Russia. But, you know, the left, if they, especially if they don't take back the House, it's going to be all, oh, my gosh, you know, they're, they're, the Russians interfered in the election again. I mean, you really, it is true. You can't win with these people. Liberty, truth, and great hair. The Buck Sexton Show is back.
Here's what I'll say about that network altogether. What they do all of the time is that they employ black athletes and black stars. We saw this with Le LeBron James the other week to try to, as a mechanism of control to the black community, they say, hey, look, I found some of your idols. I've found people that are prominent in your community, and they're saying that they hate Trump, and they're hoping that they're going to be able to drum up that hate. But it hasn't been successful. This isn't working. They need to switch strategies altogether. As I said, it's not going to matter if they keep doing this. They can bring out any black person that they want that's going to speak out against Trump. The black community cares at this moment about results, and we are getting the results that we have finally, we've been begging for these results. We're finally seeing them. Black unemployment at an all-time low. There are jobs. So, look, Spike Lee, CNN, it makes sense, but it's not something that I'm really too concerned about. It's not going to impact uh, the black vote. That was uh, Candace Owens, who was just on fire these days. Gosh, I remember when she was doing Red Pill Black and YouTube channel and coming on the Buck Sexton show. I remember like it was yesterday. Now she's all all, uh, all national level. Um, by the way, she, she referenced Spike Lee. He went on CNN. I just just by, by way of, uh, of background here, I, I believe she was referring to Spike Lee's appearance on Anderson Cooper's show. Play clip two. Would you want to sit down with Donald Trump? No. And have a, a conversation? I don't, I, I'm calling back. I don't use his name either. Hmm. Agent Orange. Do you, do you consider him your president? No. Might be Putin. Yeah, that's, you know, Sp I mean, Spike Lee will get on Anderson Cooper's show to say that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, they, they give platforms to people, folks. You know, you'll notice that liberals are the ones who want to make all these judgments about platforms and deplatforming people. And and uh, it's it's not OK to just hear different different opinions and different speech. If you allow speech on your platform, whether it's social media, whether it's online or a TV show that is is bad, uh, you're responsible for that somehow. That's a liberal idea, but they never apply that to the guests they have when they bring them on TV. CNN will allow people to go on TV and trash the president anyway, and they allowed David Hogg of uh, you know the the one who one of the kids who survived from the Parkland shooting, one of the so-called Parkland kids, to go on TV repeatedly unchallenged, spouting off on national Second Amendment law and policy and calling the NRA uh, blood-soaked murderers. If, I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but you're saying that they're essentially uh, murderers and that they don't care about dead children. A terrible slander. A terrible slander. And they didn't challenge him on that. And then you might, they might say, oh, but Buck, he's only you know, 19 or something. Well, then why are you putting him on TV for the whole nation to see? You know, they, they these these people at CNN and elsewhere they have no standards about what they're uh, uh, that they're really following. I'm so stuck on that quote from Dune about you know I follow you or rather I you know I I demand you know freedom when I'm weak because of your principles and I demand submission uh, when I'm strong because of my principle. It's it's a it's an incredible encapsulation uh, in that one quote from Dune about. What liberalism, modern progressive liberalism, it really is. They don't really have standards. They just have concepts that are weaponized in the moment for the purposes of power. And, you know, Candace Owens running around talking about uh, how CNN uses different, very prominent celebrities, particularly in the, in the, in the black community, uh, for political purposes. This really upsets liberals because they, they like to be able to to count on this they like to to have this as an option all the time 
And one thing that's gotten not a lot of coverage recently is that the the black community is much more pro-Trump recently than certainly anyone in the media would have ever suggested, right? The, the black community is becoming more pro-Trump. I think the numbers, and Producer Mike, didn't. I think the numbers doubled in the, in the latest poll. And you're not hearing much about that. Now it doubled, I think, from... You know, something like uh, under 10% to somewhere in the teens. But still, it's improving. And given all the stuff about why is why they say Trump is a racist, you hear this all the time. And I know that they often will point to the comment about uh, people coming in from Mexico. And Trump obviously meant people that are bad. He didn't mean all Mexicans. And they, they always do this where they, they, they try to be hyper-literalist with Trump. And then they turn around to us and say, well, why don't you, you know, why don't you understand like that what he said is not true? We say, well, what he was trying to say was had truth to it. Or rather, we understand the point he was making as true, even if the specifics of the verbiage he used was not entirely accurate. Uh, And look, I know that that's a a bit of a Trump translation situation, but it's what happens. And, and it's how we see these things. But with the with the black community and Trump, I I don't I really mean this. I don't understand. I mean, I I might have uh, I've got a couple of friends that I've thought about inviting on the show to talk to me about this. Some who are African-American and pro-Trump and some even who are uh, very anti-Trump and African-American just to kind of get that perspective. I'm just curious. I keep running into this. The, that you'll hear things about Trump. Oh, he's so blank. And then I'll say, why or how? And, I, and, and the response is more anger. I don't get details. Why is Trump, he's, he's racist because of what he said? Or, and I know that it's the anniversary this weekend of the uh, you know, Unite the Right loser rally in Charlottesville. He's racist because he said the, the comment about, about the both sides? I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a communications flub to be sure but you know first of all there, there are antifa protesters running around at some of these and 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 they are bad antifa are bad people what they're doing is illegal and wrong you can't punch people in the face nazi punching is actually not okay i think that gets lost sometimes here in the you can say nazis are disgusting or neo-nazis or you know whatever we're gonna, white nationalists you can say they're disgusting and they are but just because they're disgusting doesn't mean you get to hit them uh, but look, you know, Trump in the in the circumstances and the situation, you know, I just wish he wouldn't walk into some of these verbal bear traps. Uh, but he does, or really, you could say self-imposed trap. But but he does. I mean, it's a it's a unforced error. Um, but he also beat the biggest media machine on the planet, completely arrayed against him in the election. And so, you know, who, who am I to you know who am I to really pull apart his communication strategy when look at what the rest of it has done. Uh, but but you know, this is the, it's not just on on the race relations issue. It's also uh, when when I ask people why they're so I had a really I'll tell you this. I went out with some friends earlier the week and and some of them, my oldest friends from D.C. Really, really good guys. You know, the kind of you, you would if, if I could make them hang out with all of you listening, you'd really like all of them. They're really, really good people, smart, funny, just. You know, good dudes. And but one of them I could tell was was really upset at me because, and I don't really like to talk politics that much in my off hours because I do it so much during the day. But he says, well, you know, you understand that Trump is really undermining our institutions. 
And, and, he ke- and he kept saying this. And I wasn't even trying to talk politics with him. I honestly want to discuss, you know, everyone's wives and their kids and other things. And he kept saying, undermining our institution. I said, what, is that, what does that mean? This is something that people say and they think that it's kind of a debate ender. What does it mean to be undermining our institutions? What institutions and how? And do some of them deserve to be undermined? I mean, whenever you expose corruption in a government institution, for example, aren't you undermining it in a sense? Or are you cleaning it up and, and are you clarifying the situation? They say undermining it. You know, oh, they say, you know, well, what, undermining our elections? That was the Russians. That wasn't Trump. And it was minimal. Uh, it was a joke. So, I mean, not officially a joke, but I'm saying it was, not, it was insignificant. So where is it? But people have become convinced they are dug in on this and i hear this and i go oh this is like the early signs of trump derangement syndrome he's undermining our institutions. don't you see he's undermining our institutions no i don't see that how is cnn one of our institutions is the the liberal press an institution well, well what does that even mean you know Okay, you can say, Buck, it is an institution. Do we have to defend it? I don't think it's necessary for the Republic. I think they're a bunch of jerks, mostly. But when you start to pull this apart, you realize this is not even a political disagreement, my friends. This is a, people have a psychological condition here. A very nasty one. And it's all about hating Trump. with law enforcement, including cities like Chicago, that have been an absolute and total disaster. 63 incidents last weekend and 12 deaths. Uh, That's uh, bad stuff happening. And probably, uh, I guess you have to take from the leadership. This is called bad leadership. There's no reason in a million years that something like that should be happening in Chicago. The president at a press conference, they're talking about the, the horrific violence in Chicago. And, you know, you do have to ask the question, why is it that Democrats are able to evade accountability for these cities across the country where they're just doing a terrible job? Why is it that people aren't willing to say, you know, m- maybe we should try something else other than whatever Democrats continue to offer up? You know, I, I think it's a shame that that in these cities, the the entrenched political machinery because of unions and teachers unions and you know public sector unions and just the the machinery of city politics has been in so many places just completely overrun by uh by democrats and but really by by a a pretty hard left progressivism that people get the sense that there's no alternative that there's nothing else that's that's possible you know we had uh mayor giuliani on earlier in the show and you know i look he he was my mayor so I will tell you this, and I'm just saying, I'm Mike, I don't know what you think about this. I personally, I don't like the whole keeping titles thing when you no longer have it. I'm just, I'm, as a general thing, I don't think it's cool if you're an ambassador. I don't think it's cool if you're, you know, I think that you are when you are. And, you know, it's fine to be former something, but I don't understand why in America we have no titles of nobility here. I don't think you should keep a government title when you leave. Like, I'm not going to call somebody... I, I I don't I, I don't want to call. But actually, do you call former presidents? What do you call them, president or no? That's a good. I've Most never talked do. to a former president. Yeah. I'm only talked to actual presidents. 
What? Yeah, most people do refer to uh, former they presidents do, as right? Mr. President. Yeah, yeah I, I don't like that. I, I, like I totally agree with you, but yeah. I think in Rudy's case, it's become more of a nickname for him. Like, I know. Well, that's what I was going to say. He's I can think of it. He's like my mayor because yeah. he was because he, he was my mayor for eight uh, or more, maybe more. I forget how many years now, but for a long time, um, you know, he was my mayor in New York City and he did it. Look, he did a great job and he turned my city around. And so I, I have a I, I do feel a kind of debt of gratitude as a New Yorker to Rudy Giuliani. And so I'm so I'm you know, look, I'm, I'm saying I make an exception for that. But all these other people, like sometimes on my show here, even on Rising, people will say to me, you know, oh, well, you know, so-and-so likes to be address- addressed as ambassador. I'm like, wasn't this guy like the ambassador to Barbados like 20 years ago? I got to address him now as ambassador? I mean, because he was you know, working on his tan for a, for a year or two under like the, you know, the Carter administration? I, I don't think so. I, I, I think that's a little weird. I, I really, I really don't like it. I also don't, I don't think, like, John Boehner, people call him Mr. Speaker. No. No, John Boehner, isn't he involved in, like, the legal marijuana thing? That Yeah. You know, he's allowed to do that. He's allowed to move on and do his thing. But I'm sorry, he, he doesn't get to maintain this. I don't know who I got a right to about this, but I disagree with this. I really, I, it sticks in my craw. I am not okay with the expectation that people have and in media it comes up a lot because you deal with all these people that have former government such and such doctor is different because doctor is an honorific or it's a it's a title that is earned through uh knowledge and and experience and you keep that your whole life so i'm fine with with earned titles that are that are things you you always are uh i am not okay with appointee titles and government titles and all this stuff anyway so back to uh, Holly, I mean, not Hollywood, another place I'm going to trash, Hollywood. You notice how they have now added a popular movie category? I got to tell you, on Rising Earlier this week, I referred to, so wait, I- I'm-, I'm mixing stories up here, but it's Friday, folks. It's a freestyle. I'm throwing all these things together. We'll get back to the, take a break from the seriousness of dealing with violence in Chicago, because I want to talk about the Oscar situation for a second here with Mike. So they're adding a popular movie category to the Oscars. You know why they're doing this? They're doing this because too many times now the Oscar nominees are movies that not only no one saw, but people don't even know. So how can you even feel invested in this if the nominees are movies that you never you never saw and, and don't know anything about? And I've been mentioned on Rising that the last Oscar winner for Best Picture is a movie about a woman who has sex with her aquarium pet. And everybody started laughing but you know what's funny? They all started laughing, and then they started looking at me, and then they kind of laughed a little more. So they're like, oh, my God, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I am right. A very weird, boring, freaky movie. Um, so they're, they're changing it now, so they're going to add uh, more popular titles into it. So now, like, Thor Ragnarok Part 7 or something is probably going to be nominated for an Oscar. All right. Total aside there, I just want to get that out of my system. I mean, just back to the, the and I know I got the titles in, uh, the titles of different government hold, office holders. What I'm trying to say here, folks, is I just believe in accountability for people that are given government power, and there should be a real throw-the-bums-out mentality in Chicago, and that means progressive Democrats. Get them out. Get them out. They, they cannot handle what's going on in Chicago. They have shown that. Rahm Emanuel has shown that. Why is Rahm Emanuel still in this job? And someone explained to me 
what the what the reasoning is behind this. And I know it's because you know he probably makes sure that the money flows to the you know to this union and to the schools and to the you know the their equivalent of whatever their you know uh, public housing agency is and all this stuff. Do we have a clip? Oh, play the uh, play the clip then with with uh, which one is it, Mike? It's a clip 17. It was a, a pastor in Chicago who was speaking on Chicago violence this week, and he, and he sort of uh, he gets, yeah, hits Emmanuel pretty hard. Do you have it? Play it, John. Literally, the chickens have come home to roost for Rahm Emanuel. Uh, he's talking about more police officers. What they're saying, in effect, is we can't handle the situation. It's beyond us. It's out of control. And they want to treat people like safari animals with more wardens for the safari. No, the idea is, is that we need resources in these communities, in these assets. We need to eliminate, to get rid of Chicago's historical segregation that has been fought against since King marched through here in 1966 in Marquette Park. And they, they are in a situation where they need to move. They have plenty of chances. They're always doing things in the heat of crisis, and then they lie to us because they mm. don't deliver on those promises once the heat is dissipated. If I'm drowning in the ocean and somebody throws me a lifesaver, I don't look to see who's on the other end of the rope. I just grab the lifesaver. Man, Trump, send the National Guard down here. Give us a breather so we can figure this out. Yes, let's talk because we have to make some changes here. Let's do like Eisenhower. Get some federal troops in here and let's make this a better place for all Chicagoans. Hey, man, at least, at least we're talking solutions there. So I think as more and more Americans look at the leaders of the Democrat Party, it's clear they don't have a vision, they don't have a plan, they don't have a path. And by the way, what Republicans are doing is working. Lives are better because of Republican policies right now. The president wants to work with Democrats, but we know one thing. We're on the right path as a country with our GDP, with our unemployment, our low unemployment, with jobs coming back, with our military being funded, with our veterans being taken care of. This is a time when America is rising. Why do we want to hand it over to Democrats who have no vision? In 19 farm states surveyed by Morning Consult exclusively for CNBC, 10 states saw President Trump's rural approval rating improve between May and the end of July. Seven saw it stay the same in that period, and just one, Idaho, saw it decline. I'm a big believer if you're in a bad deal, be it a lease, be it an agreement with a business partner, you owe it to yourself to step up and try to make it better for both parties and, and negotiate it, but for sure, it needs to be better for for yourself and and i think simply that's what this administration is attempting to do we're going to trust that the president will have a, at least some success in negotiating a a, a trade deal that will support uh, uh, corn soybeans and actually everything that the u.s exports there you have it folks the Democrat narrative here is that Trump's ruinous trade policy will clearly turn states and, and the populations in states hurt by the, the farm, uh, the, the, the farmer tariffs or the tariffs targeting farmers in those states. It's going to make them anti-Trump and, oh, wait, you mean his, according to CNBC here, Trump's rural support in states that are specifically by the Chinese, I might add, uh, targeted with with tariffs against farmers. Um, There's more supportive of Trump. They understand what he's doing. What? Wow. And we started there with Ronna, uh, um, uh, Ronna McDaniel. And, you know, she's saying the Democrats don't have a, a real a real card to play here because America is doing well. 
And why give it over to the Democrats? And it's a very, very good question. And one that I think has the Democrats a little panicked right now. There is no reason other than if if you really believe that Trump is a, a terrible person and a racist and a misogynist, I guess you can convince yourself that there's some moral or ethical reason that you you, you can't vote for him. So you're going to and by the way, Trump's not on the ballot. So look at what the, what the parties are doing. If you're really against Trump in that way, you're going to not vote for a a Republican candidate and continue the policies of the Republican party. You know, see this is what they they always say that Trump isn't responsible for the good things that are happening in his presidency. And then they say that Trump doesn't pick good people for, you know, for government, for senior posts. And and they also will tell you that the Republican Congress, Republican majority Congress, is not responsible for any of these good things either. Well, who is responsible for all the good things? They're they're just they're just running around in circles and hoping that you don't. You know, because you're listening to the show, but they are hoping that the American people don't figure out that the Democrats, it's really just all anger and uh, anger and envy pushing their platform. That's it. Uh, they don't have any solutions for any of the major problems facing this country. I, I've been really trying to hammer hammer them on immigration more than anything else, because that's where I think they're the most completely feckless. That's where they really uh, come up with with zero. And I, I would also want to point to, to some of what we've seen from their so-called likely standard bearers, I guess. I mean, you know, you have, for one... Ben Shapiro offers ten thousand dollars to uh, Ocasio Cortez to debate, and you know Ben is a formidable debater. Ocasio Cortez isn't even good for good as a Democrat uh, for a debater. I mean, she's not is not going to be within her her skill set. Uh, I think that much is clear, and so you got to ask yourself: Well, of course she's not going to accept this, right? But it, it's fine to not accept it. It's, it's fine to decide that you're not going to, even if you're going to be the standard bearer of the Democratic Party, uh, you can say, look, I don't have time to debate every, Ben's not a politician, he's a, he's a, a pundit a, and an author. I mean, he's, he does things like me. I mean, we, this is, we're in the media, right? I, I can challenge, it's completely fine for me to challenge somebody to anyone do a debate, and they have every right to say, you know, I, I don't want to, or I don't have time, but Ocasio-Cortez went way beyond that. She says, uh, you know, Ben wrote to her, hey, um, uh, you know, hey, would you like to debate? I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll, I'll donate ten thousand dollars to your campaign if you will debate me or we can raise money for charity. And she by the way, brilliant marketing by Ben uh, hat tip to him for this, because now this is. Uh, oh, we have the audio for this. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I know. Oh, no, no, I know. We We, we will get to that. Um, actually, fine. Go ahead. Play, play it. Play clip 12. I would love to have a real conversation with you about the issues. You've noted you think Republicans are afraid to debate you or talk to you or discuss the issues with you. Not only am I eager to discuss the issues with you, I'm willing to offer $10,000 to your campaign today. There you go. Right. A very respectful and straightforward offer um, of a debate. That's it. But because Ocasio-Cortez comes from the social justice left, because she has a certain uh, political, cultural 
approach to dealing with the opposition, her response to Ben was, quote, just like catcalling, I don't owe a response to unsolicited requests from men with bad intentions. And also like catcalling, for some reason, they feel entitled to one. This is wrong and on on every level in every way. First of all, <laughs> of, of all the conservative pundits out there, look, I'm I am unlikely to to be accused of, of ever. I've never catcalled a woman in my life, and it's not something that I would ever do. But I think I'm unlikely to be accused of somebody who would even catcall. I'd be willing to say that Ben Shapiro is even more unlikely than me to be accused of. You know, he's married, he's got children, and he's you know, he's a very respect respectful guy. I mean, he he would be up there. I don't know. It's like who's the least likely to catcall women among conservatives? A lot of us. Are, are incredibly respectful uh, to women. That's just in the nature, I think, of, of being a conservative in America today. But to to bring up catcalling in any kind of a conversation with with Ben Shapiro is just is just insane. But even beyond that, uh, you know that that she says that he feels entitled. He's not says doesn't say he feels entitled. He just made you an offer. You can ignore it, but she didn't ignore it. Instead, she made this about something else. Instead, she did what liberals do which is when they know they are intellectually outgunned. When they can't win the argument, they go personal and they go nasty and they try to paint you as one of their preferred aggressors. You're a sexist, a misogynist, a racist, a bigot. A bl- you know, they, they always try to fit you into one of those categories. And it's so pathetic and so weak. And, you know, I, I just think that you look at Casio Cortez. I don't think she, she's not up to the task, folks. She's just not. I know they got all excited and she won this. Vi- she won a victory against a guy. How many of you even knew who Crowley was? I had heard the name, but I couldn't even picture him. I'm gonna be completely honest with you. He's been this, been in the Congress for. I don't even you know. I think I don't know. But, uh, well, Mike, how long was a, was he in? I, I want to say. For, I mean, he's the number four, four most powerful Democrat in the Congress. I think he's been in for like 20 years, you know, 20 years. Plus. He's been in forever. I don't even know what the guy looks like. Beating him is, in a sense, remarkable, but also, it's also, who who cares? This guy is a machine politician that anybody running a decent campaign should have been able to put a, uh, put some, you know, put up a real fight. Anyway, I just, it's just so classic with, with, uh, with libs and the way they approach these things. And then we've got one more thing, by the way. You know, the other savior of the Democrat Party, I think the one most likely to be considered for a uh, presidential run in 2020 against Trump right now, I think the Democrat that they're really banking on is Kamala Harris. Yeah, Crowley's been in, Mike tells me, since 1999. So, okay, not, yeah, I mean, almost 20 years. Uh, And... Kamala Harris is supposed to be the savior of the Democratic Party, I think, against Trump. I think they really believe that. Here's how impressive she sounds when asked to explain why she's impressive. Play 13. What at this point you consider your like your biggest win or the thing that when you're like, wow, when I look back at those 18 months, this is the thing that like I want top of the resume. The I'll tell you, um, one of the things that I think for me is most important is the role that I serve on the various committees that I'm on, um, which are oversight committees like let's be clear those committees exist to 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 watch and question um what is going on with our government with the united states government yeah 
She's on committees. Hi, I'm in Delaware. I mean, wow, what an answer. You know, what what have you done that's impressive? You know, for, for Democrats, the persona of uh, Kamala Harris is all that is necessary. They like the way she comes across. They like her her persona. I mean, that, that, that's what they're pushing. Not not a record of accomplishment, not any particular skill or ability, just Kamala Harris. And you know what? They they did the same thing with Obama, where it was all about Obama, the the persona, the narrative of the person, not about the policies or the ability or the accomplishment per se. And and so I think that they're going to be very mistaken on this one, too. Look, Democrats are flailing right now. They must know that all this Russia collusion delusion stuff is pathetic, right? They, they've got to know deep down, at least some of them, the ones that are still sane. So what do they come up with? Not a whole heck of a lot in response. Not There's not much to be said here that should get Democrats fired up. Uh, my buddy Betty Johnson, he's going to be joining in just a minute. We're going to have a fun chat. And also, he's our Freedom Hut podcast guest for this week. So uh, get excited. Hey, everybody, joining us here for our Freestyle Friday, we have Mr. Benny Johnson. Benny Johnson works at The Daily Caller. He's a writer, a video editor, man about town, all-around gentleman. Mr. Benny Johnson, good to have you here with me. Thank you, Buck. Thank so, you. So he's with me in the Freedom Hut, by the way. So, so Benny, tell me, you had a couple of scoops today at thedailycaller.com. By the way, thank you for uh, loaning us Stephanie Hamill for my panel show this morning. She is fantastic. Isn't she? You're Daily Caller people. I'm always like, I love these Daily Caller people. And then the libs on my show are like, yeah, they were good. <laughs> and I'm like, but I love them. And they're like, yeah, they were good. Anyway, so uh, so tell me a bit about your scoops today. Buck, you are the person who called Jim Acosta when I was on your show, uh, the future of the Democratic Party. The future no, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. But you said Jim Acosta is actually like the de facto spokesperson for oh. the Democratic Party. Did so I say that? speaking I of owning that. the libs, I mean, Buck, I'm not sure. Like, who's better, Daily Caller people or Buck Sexton? Well, but part of part of my nature is to own the lib. I own the libs even when I don't try to. So apparently, and I don't remember it either, which is another thing. So wait, you had a scoop today, though, Ocasio Cortez, and uh, what's and, going on? And the RNC in a act of stunning uh, cultural relevance decided to take Billy Madison clips and intersplice them with some of the factual, erroneous statements that Ocasio-Cortez has made over the past couple months of campaigning uh, along the, around the country with Bernie and doing regular interviews and genuinely just being uh, listed as pants on fire by PolitiFact, being fact-checked in the Washington Post as making up to 10 false statements, um, and uh, a, pr- a pretty blunderous little launch for Ocasio-Cortez. And can the I, RNC decided to troll her with a funny Billy Madison. Can, can, I, can I do the, I got to do the Ron Burgundy thing here. I'm like, Billy Madison is a humorous comedic film from the 1990s. For those of you at home who are unaware, starring Adam Sandler and having not, not a bit of potty humor in it. Quite, quite a lot, <laughs> if I recall. Uh, I could actually start doing some Billy Madison impressions on the radio, but I, I think it'd be better to keep my job. So uh, nonetheless... <laughs> Billy Madison, okay, fantastic. So, Ocasio-Cortez. There's one specific moment, Buck, in the film where the uh, belabored uh, student, Billy Madison, is trying to uh, graduate high school. The principal of the school asks him a question. He has a dumb answer. And the principal goes on this, uh, what is now classic and viral rant against Billy Madison, saying that's the stupidest answer I've ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber. And the RNC 
again, for the RNC, very nimble on their feet. They usually don't expect pretty uh, very well, you spicy know, my, my, my friend Kelly McEnany's over there, who's amazing. So Well, yes. Yeah, so, so she may be adding some fantastic spice to that RNC that soup. might be it. And it's a, it was a spicy meatball today. And so it was a fun, it's a funny little clip. Uh, they, they broke it with us at the Daily Caller. And so you can head over there and, and, and find it online. It's actually very funny. Ocasio-Cortez, of course, famously has said that Israel is occupying Palestinian land, a major faux pas on either side of the, the party, uh, that the, uh, unemployment is low because everyone has two jobs. Uh, she said that capitalism hasn't always existed and won't always exist in the world and has uh, wasn't able to really name what Nancy Pelosi does uh, in Congress. I'm not uh, sure Nancy Pelosi could really tell you what, you know, what exactly do <laughs> you do here, Nancy? <laughs> you know? It's a lot of le- le- legislating. <laughs> Something like that, you know? She's uh, a master legislator, in fact, if I remember. Uh, but you our, our, president, our president is President Ronald Grump. That's what I call him. Wow, look at that. Nancy Pelosi. Uh, he's got a Nancy Pelosi, too. Um, you had a second story today up at thedailycaller.com in case folks want to check it out. What, what was it, Mr. Mr. Johnson? Yes, so Marsha Blackburn is a GOP congresswoman. She's running for Senate buck in Tennessee. A Tennessee congressman said in a meeting with a bunch of pastors that he hopes that she jumps off a bridge. Uh, the context is that she would do anything Trump asked, and if Trump asked her to jump off a bridge, she'd do it. And then the congressman continued saying... Uh, well, uh, I hope that he asked her to do that. In essence, I hope that Trump asked this woman to jump off a bridge. The congresswoman uh, uh, sent me a statement uh, in response to this, uh, calling it violence against women, uh, saying that this is a this is in line with a very bad uh, and modern tradition right now of uh, Democrats, national Democrats, calling for violence against conservatives. Um, and that her opponent in the Senate campaign is is silent on the matter, and she doesn't like that very much. So, uh, so that is that is Marsha Blackburn responding to uh, Steve Cohen telling her to jump off a bridge. Wow! <laughs> Violence against women. Also, I mean, it's 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 not quite as bad as respectfully inviting a congressional candidate to debate and offering to donate money to her campaign, right? Because we know that's apparently catcalling. That is catcalling. That's yes. what they said about Ben Shapiro's yes. thing. When I mean they, I mean Ocasio-Cortez. <laughs> That's what she said. It did not go over well with people that have a grasp of the English language and reality. It did not go over well. Buck, when you invited me on this show today, I thought you were catcalling me, and I was very offended. Uh, well. I was like, why are you inviting me to come and debate and, and talk? I, is this a catcall? Am I being sexually harassed? It was very probable. Well, now there's a perfect transition to how you're going to be our special guest on the Freedom Hut podcast, which is going to be out this weekend. And I think people are definitely going to tune in because I mean, what the heck is Benny talking about? Benny and I go back a long ways, folks. About six or seven years now. The Blaze Days. The Blaze Days. Blaze so Days. Benny is our special guest for the Freedom Hut podcast. We're going to get into that here in just a little bit, but uh, please be sure to check that out. It should be in your podcast feed on iTunes, also on Stitcher.com. Uh, We will have Roll Call coming up in just a moment, so uh, stay with me. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. All right, let's get to it. Uh, We got a double Roll Call because it's Friday. Uh, Would very much like to... uh, 
get into it. So I, I won't I won't filibuster. I will say the Freedom Hut podcast with Benny Johnson is up. It is out, and it is fantastic. I think you really enjoy it. Buck and Benny trash the swamp. That's what we call it. Uh, so I, I think you really enjoy it. It's going to be up. Uh, I'll, I'll put it up on Facebook as well, but you can listen to it on uh, on uh, Stitcher.com and also, obviously, iTunes and the iHeart, iHeart platform, too. The iHeart app. All right. Facebook.com slash and Roll call. Here we go. Don't realize that by saying college campuses, this is from Carol, are a breeding ground for the liberal agenda that you're actually saying the more educated a person is, the more liberal they are. Isn't that an insult to the people you are preaching to? Or are you not educated enough to even understand that? All due respect <laughs> for your thoughts. Uh, Carol, uh, a few things, Carol. First of all, writing all due respect uh, does not actually mean that you are conferring respect. I just want to give you a little tip about that. That's important for you to know. Uh, as to... Uh, college campuses are breeding grounds for the liberal agenda. That that doesn't mean that every kid who goes to college is liberal. It just means that the administrators on the campuses push liberalism onto students. But clearly, based on the on the on the voting patterns of the American population, it, it is not the case that if you are if you are educated, you are one political party or the other. Um, and so that's not what I'm saying. So it's not an insult because you're misunderstanding the point of college campus indoctrination and, and why I talk about it and why I bring it up. It's from the faculty lounges and it's top down and the faculty lounges operate very much like a kind of intellectual country club where only people that are already in get to determine who else gets in. And this gets into discussions about tenure and you know, who is tenure track and who is kept on as a professor, who gets hired in the first place as an associate professor. So it's a self-perpetuating system. Um, and, and there is ideological discrimination in place at the faculty and administrative level, which then affects the curriculum. Um, but there are still plenty of college kids that are conservative, I mean, plenty of people coming out of college who are conservative. So I, I'm glad I was able to explain to you what I was saying or what I do say. And also to help you with the, the all due respect, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go, um, I wouldn't, if I were you, uh, throw around with all due respect as a, as a get out of jail free card. Uh, here we go. Michael writes, bet you had some projectile poop stuff going on last night. He actually wrote diarrhea. I don't know why I trans, I thought somehow that saying poop was less bad than saying diarrhea on the air, but. If you're not used to raw milk, it'll do a number on you, especially if you have the slightest bit of lactose intolerance. I laugh my butt off here uh, watching you sit there for three hours, making sure that you're going to... I can't read all what Michael wrote here. I like the goat farmer lady who called from Tennessee. I knew a kid in high school whose family raised goats, and goat milk was all they drank. They made goat cheese, too. I don't care for either the cheese or the milk, but there is actual scientific evidence that it is easier to digest than cow's milk. I'd love to have a few goats around uh, the place, but the yellow, uh, but what's this? Oh, yeah, I, but I can't, but the missus says, I'm only allowed one dog, and that's it. No chickens, no goats, no mini donkeys. Zip, not a nothing. She says, I'm lucky to have the lab. Well, you are lucky to have the Labrador, Michael, because they're amazing dogs. And I got it. Baby goats are really cute, you know? I'm a big, big fan of baby goats. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Uh Next up, we uh, Eric writes, uh, help. Um, but it looks like a bot, so I don't think Eric is a real person. 
from what I can tell based on his avatar. So I'll skip that one. Uh, Howard writes, prosecutorial discretion. Bay Area Professor Eric Clanton entered into a plea agreement on Wednesday for a misdemeanor battery charge. All felony charges against Clanton were dismissed. Uh, you're just telling me, Howard, this is a case, a local case of somebody getting a pass by prosecutors? I, I totally believe that. Um, so, yeah, that can happen. I don't know the, pol- I don't know the uh, specifics of the situation you're telling me about, but, you know, yeah. Next up is JJ. Hey, so sorry I wasn't very clear. I was listening. I think you're 100% right on. Nobody's going to really care about the cost of the Mueller probe. Be honest, I want them to finish the probes. The Dems can't say that Trump stopped it. But in the end, if it turns out to be a giant nothing that they found, it will be interesting to know how much they spent for no return in the end. Thanks so much for answering that first question. Keep up the good work, JJ. Well, JJ, thanks for sending the question and giving me some uh, stuff to work with here in our roll call segment. Um, next we have Andrea, OMG, Wednesday podcast, Broadway actresses. Yes, I'm a theater director and my daughter is an aspiring actress. So true. (laughs) Yeah, I've known some Broadway ladies. They just all want to be a star. (laughs) They're, they're They're an intense bunch. Theater kids are different than Hollywood kids. And when I mean kids, I mean actual adults, you know, but we, that's how we refer to them kind of as a group, right? Uh, you know, the, the theater bunch are different than the Hollywood bunch. The Hollywood bunch are, are, are vain and superficial, and, but, but at least they are, they are tethered to the realities of the market in some way, you know? Whereas people in the theater are like, well, you can't tell me what to do. I did summer stock last year, and I was fantastic. <laughs> You're like, okay, that's cool. I'll catch you next time in the Poconos. Um, yep, yep. So I'm uh, glad you appreciate that one, Andrea. John writes, hey, brother, just heard your raw milk story. As somebody who's had plenty of raw cows and goat's milk, I definitely recommend going slow and giving your, uh, your gut some time to acclimate to the different beneficial bacteria present in raw milk. Maybe start with half a cup and work your way up. I feel like that would reduce a lot of the turbulence you were having. Yeah, John, I, I think you're probably right. I'm, by the way, I'm pretty much fine today, so it wasn't, a, it wasn't bad. It wasn't like when I get glutenized, and that's a very bad thing that I can't discuss on the radio because it's, it's gross. Uh, but it was, uh, it was uncomfortable. I, really, I do wonder, though, what good stuff is in raw milk. And I'll tell you, I'm a big believer in uh, probiotics. In fact, I take probiotics from one of our sponsors on this show on a on a daily basis i'm a big probiotic fan Uh, i think it really matters a lot gut health is fascinating and and science has started to look at what goes on in your gastrointestinal tract to figure out like what, what what do you mean that this is where most of your most of your immunity folks is in the gi tract think about that you know that's where most immunity is and your immune system you know, that's where it, 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 the cells are, are, are found uh, predominantly, or that's where the cell creation is. I don't know. I mean, immunity is in your GI tract. That's all I can tell you. Um, so, yeah, that's that. And, uh, yeah, there you have it. Uh, I'll try some of the stuff, the, the raw milk stuff, though, but slower, slower next time. Corey, podcast listener here. Thursday you were talking about Yemen and all its problems with terrorism, etc., you neglected to, bo- to mention the bombing of the USS Cole, a terrorist attack which has been mostly forgotten because it predates 
So terrorism uh, in this country isn't new. Okay, Corey, I, I know that. I, I, I didn't neglect to mention it. I just, I'm talking about what's going on today. I wasn't trying to give you a, a history of Yemen so much as a why Yemen is still a problem today. But, you know, a, a fair point about the uh, bombing of the coal back in 2000, 2000 I believe. Um, different topic. I haven't heard you talk much about your time in Afghanistan. Obviously, don't know what you can and can't talk about. I was over there in 2009 in Southern Helmand. Um, uh, I dig the show. Uh, Semper Fi, Corey. Uh, Corey, I was over there after you, so I wasn't, uh, I think, I, I, don't, I don't think we coincided, although maybe for a couple of months. Uh, and I... You know what, my friend? Maybe I can, I'll can. i give you a little more uh, insight onto what parts of the country I'm familiar with, but not, not on air. Uh, and thank you for your service, and thanks for reaching out in Shield Time. Rain. Cool name. Hey, Buck, could you please spell the name of your guest on the Thursday, August 9th show? David Rassani? Davi Dasani? <laughs> I'm having a hard time looking, uh, looking him up to follow. Plus, check out his book. Thanks. Uh, Rain, his name is David Harsanyi. So it's H-A-R-S-A-N-Y-I. David Harsanyi. Uh, he's a longtime columnist and uh, writes for The Federalist, has his book out, America's History with the Gun. I forget the specific title of it. Um, but uh, he's, he's a, real, a good dude, a smart guy, very very kind of humble and low-key, but, but a really a good writer and a good thinker. And, uh, yeah, you should definitely follow him. He's uh, David Harsanyi on Twitter. And Jan writes, Hi, Buck. Try A2 milk. Way easier on the tummy. Well, I got to tell you, is, is that that, like, milk that's not really milk? If it's that kind of funky stuff, then that's not something that I'm really going to get excited about. Um, yeah. I can't say that I A2 milk, huh? Way easier in the tummy. Don, do you know what A2 milk is? Is it the milk without the lactose or something? I, I like I like milk milk. I'm talking to myself right now, aren't I? You guys are already, it's Friday, it's late. You guys already checked no, out. We're here, bud. Oh, there we go. Producer Mike is getting somebody's phone I was just I uh, looking up, I know actually. what's going on in New York. When Buck's not there to monitor the situation, <laughs> you're like mixing cocktails, kicking back. I know what happened. Well, that there. would be ideal, but mm. we are uh, unfortunately hard at work here. I was oh, uh, actually looking up uh, Harsanye's, uh the correct title of his book. Oh, 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 look at you with a little <laughs> passive aggressive. I like uh-huh. it. What is, the correct, what is the correct title? So it's uh, First Freedom, A Ride Through America's Enduring History with the Gun. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. There you yeah. have it. First Freedom. Check it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. David. David's a good dude. Uh, you know cocktails. what? I got I, I to roll. Uh, what was that? I said, now I'm going back to the cocktails. Oh, there you go. What is your go-to right now if you had to, if you could actually make one appear? Really? Oh, that's tough, man. I am a, uh, I'm an old-fashioned guy, but I think for this time of day, that might be a little too much too early. I went out with a bunch of old, old friends for dinner earlier in the week. They mm-hmm. all got old fashions. Is this a thing now? They all got old fashions. Well, Three guys that I'm, yeah. all, I'm out with them, they're all old buddies of mine, and that's their drink. Brown liquor is back now. You know, it's a, I, I do like bourbon. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's probably my go-to drink. But on a hot day like this, at happy hour, I'd probably get a, uh, a nice cold beer. At this By the point. way, I, I ordered I ordered mezcal, and they said that I was ordering hipster tequila, which hurt. <laughs> you know that stings because cool. it's kind of true. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. hipster tequila. 
Yeah, they they lit me up a little bit. Anyway, good times. Yeah. Um, all right, Mike, I don't want to keep you from uh, doing your impression of Tom Cruise and cocktail. Um, <laughs> so, uh, team, we got we got to hit a, a, a quick pause here. We'll come back with more roll call. Stay with me. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. Before I send you off on your weekends to uh, rest, recuperate, enjoy yourselves, although some of you might, like me, might be working, I'm actually going to be on the uh, McLaughlin group this weekend. My old friend Tom Rogan. Hello, Buck. Tom Rogan here. Um, Tom Rogan is, uh, is hosting it. I think he always hosts it. I think it's his show now, and uh, I will be joining him. So I'm working on Saturday because I, I, I can't get enough. Can't get enough of this media action, folks. Who needs, like, the outdoors or a social life or or sleep when when you can be doing media stuff anyway so uh yeah i'll be uh, if you ever watch the mclaughlin group uh, this weekend i'll be on she'll be fun all right uh next up let's get to this we have david who writes hey buck i'm uh taking the boys to dc in september for the cubs nat series We'll be hitting museums during the day. I know you're broadcasting from D.C. Are you in a studio or are you doing it remote from your apartment? If you're in studio, would it be possible to stop uh, stop by to give the boys a tour? I'd love for them to meet you because you'll be the conservative voice I want them to listen to. I'm a longtime listener, and I'm so happy for your success. Take care, David. Uh, also, the Amish Gustafsson milk tasting situation was hilarious. BTW. Uh, David, I, I'd be happy to give you a tour of the studio. I am going to put you in touch with one of our producers here at The Hill who can... Uh, get you through the process of uh, what we got to do to get you to be able to come up here, but uh, but sure, I'd, I'd be I'd be glad to give you a give you a tour. It's it's uh, it's a quick tour though. I can tell you that we make it look bigger and more sort of the, the the most luxurious part of our of our whole hill office is the studio. The rest of the office is uh, is an office. <laughs> it's not there's not a lot of fun. And if you guys saw what the Freedom Hut looks like, you'd say, "Wow, Buck, you are." You are not at the D.C. Freedom Hut. The New York Freedom Hut is kind of like a, a, a Maybach. And the D.C. Freedom Hut is a little more like a 77 uh, Corolla with like 100,000 miles on it. You know what I mean? Maybe 200,000 miles on it. So, yeah. Although, would that be classic car now, Mike? Is 77 classic car territory? Probably would be. Yeah, probably. So actually, I, I should have said 87. Yeah. 77 is like, that's yeah. cool. 87. Yeah, you were being generous there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I was. <laughs> it's really more like a 1992, yeah. um, you know, Firebird. There we go. Yeah. Now we're getting and, and quick side note, I'm actually going to that game that day that he's describing. Well, there you go. Yeah. I could put you in touch with Bruce or Mike. You yeah. guys could share a beer. Um, let's see what we got here. Uh, hold on a second. Bob writes, hey, Buck, I'm probably too late to the party, but have you seen Range 15? If not, Google it. One of the guys from Black Rifle is in it. Uh, Bob, I have not seen Range 15, so you are not late to the party, and I am certainly down to uh, do a little Googling of this and figure out what the heck is going on. I, I honestly have no idea. Producer Mike, do you know what Range 15 is? I have no idea. No, I do not. I don't know what it is either. So, you know, I like where your head's at. Let me... uh. I'll take a peek. All right, we got time for one more. Um, Mud Mud says, Buck, Ghostbusters, your favorite. Ray says he has a plan, and Venkman connected the egg snot. 
or Egon Snot. Whoops. Love that flick. I have to sincerely and humbly apologize. Uh, as a proud Cajun, I must beg your forgiveness for Louisiana lawyers and politicians. It's my utmost belief that the manipulation of our legal system by generations of senators or congressmen, esquires. Mud, you're eloquent, but I don't know what you're talking about here. Uh, so I got to leave it there for this week, everybody. Uh, please do check out, I'm tell- if you're not a podcast listener, this is a great time to start. Uh, check out the Freedom Hut podcast. Benny Johnson of The Daily Caller is my guest. I'm telling you, we have a lot of fun. It's a quick listen. Throw it on, you know, you can play it off your smartphone. Throw it on while you're grilling or cooking or just, you know, doing some errands this weekend or driving to the store. I think you'll really enjoy it. See you next time. Shields high.